Well, if you would turn with me in your Bibles, uh, Colossians 2.6, uh, but I will warn you, um, I know sometimes you'll hear a message and you'll go through uh, like one single passage, and I love that. Uh, I've done that other times I've preached here, but this morning I'm going to be jumping around to a bunch of different passages, so you may get frustrated because I'll be going from one to the next. Uh, if you are aware of that frustration, you might want to just have a, a piece of paper and write down passages or just uh, wait till afterwards. But um, we're going to jump around, but we're going to start here in Colossians 2, 6, and 7. And I'm, I'm going to read from, I know you have the NIV in there, I love the NIV, but um, there's a nuance in the ESV that I'm going to read here that, uh, that will help us get started. It says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And that word thanksgiving, uh, as soon as I say it, maybe uh, the holiday pops into your mind, or you think about turkey and football, or uh, maybe uh, Black Friday. Don't worry, there's another five months. You don't have to worry about that stuff. Uh, you know, for me, uh, since we just celebrated the 4th, I'm thinking of the 4th of July, and I'm thinking of prayer times with my family over the last weekend where we, we just stopped and we, we always pray, but we in a special way just wanted to say thank you to God for uh, this country we live in and, and for the people who have helped secure those freedoms for us and just giving thanks to those in the military and those who came before that we can live in a country like America and, and celebrate. Um, so I'm all for holidays where we stop and we give thanks. That's a great thing. Uh, but I want to say that being a grateful person is more than a holiday feeling. A grateful heart is, I want to say, it's the foundational state of a growing Christian. And I'd go so far as to say that a lack of gratitude in your heart is likely at the root of many of the problems in your life. And you might say to yourself, really? Lack of gratitude? I know it's important, but is it that big of a deal? Well, I want to show you this morning that it is. In the passage I just read, uh, Paul, who's a leader in the early church, he tells us that one clear sign that we're growing as a follower of Christ is that we're abounding, overflowing with thanksgiving. So my question is, does your life abound with thanksgiving, with gratitude? And this morning I want to look at three questions. First, what is gratitude? Second, why is ingratitude at the root of most of the problems we have? And third, how do you cultivate a grateful heart? So let's begin by looking at the first question, what is gratitude? And the simple answer to that question is that gratitude is a response of appreciation for a gift that someone's given to you. Uh, showing appreciation honors that person, the person who's given you the gift. Now, when I was growing up, my parents taught me that I had to say thank you. Uh, if I asked someone to do something for me, if I needed help getting a plate down from the cupboard or I needed help tying my shoes or anything that I needed help for, I was expected to say thank you. And I'm trying to teach the same thing to my kids today. Uh, if someone holds the door open, um, you say thank you. If, if someone does something to help you, you say thank you. You, you just need to learn that. Um, and the reason is because it's a gift. They don't have to do that, right? Uh, they don't... Uh, you don't deserve this from them, this help that they offer. And the appropriate response to that gift is gratitude. Another time when I was taught to, uh, to say thank you was after my birthday or after Christmas, and my mom would make me sit down and write all these thank you notes to my relatives for the gifts 
uh, I had received, I don't even know if people do that, we actually don't do that with our kids, so uh, that's a confession. Um, but uh, honestly, I hated doing it, uh, which goes to show that I, I didn't have a grateful heart. Uh, at some level, I thought I deserved everything I was getting. Uh, and if it wasn't what I wanted, then you know, it was their fault for not getting the right thing for me. Uh, my parents were wise, though, to train me in this because ingratitude is our default, right? Gratitude should be natural for us, but sadly it's not. So look with me at Romans 1. Uh, in his letter to the Romans, Paul begins here. This is a massive letter, but he starts here by talking about the state of the human race. He says we're all condemned in our sin before God. And in verse 18, we read, The wrath of God, and I've, I'm going to read a little before the verse I have up there. It says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from, from what's been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither, and this is the part I want you to catch, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But in their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. So Paul tells us here that God judges our sin because human beings hide or suppress the truth. And what's that truth? Well, my way of saying it is that we're not the masters of our own ship. We aren't the ones in charge. The truth is that there's a creator and we owe him something. It says they did not glorify him as God or give him thanks. There's two responses we owe to God, and they're really the same response. Glory and thanks. We give glory to God by giving him thanks. So our basic default response to being this special creation of our creator uh, is gratitude. Giving thanks is how we honor God. It's an act of worship, and we, do, we owe this because... Um, because all that we are, all that we have is a gift. Acts 17 says that God gives to mankind life and breath and everything. In him we live and move and have our being. God gives us everything, that, that breath you just took. It's from God. You move and you live in a world that God has made. It's all his and you're using it with his permission. So, Back to our question, what's gratitude? It's a response of appreciation to a gift, a way of honoring the one who has given it to you. And the problem is that human beings will do everything they can to ignore God and pretend that he doesn't exist and that we don't owe him anything at all. And we try to hide our debt of gratitude to God, but it'll spill out sometimes, even if we don't want to admit it. And the way we think and speak, it's almost unconscious because we're hardwired to be grateful. And um, sometimes I read, um, mostly online, but uh, a magazine called The Atlantic, it has these long-form articles, which uh, it's kind of different from the short stuff we read on the internet a lot. But uh, there was a recent article in The Atlantic, and it pointed this out. And this isn't a Christian magazine. Uh, the author's not a Christian. But they're saying, talking about giving thanks, and they say, Thanksgiving is talked about in public life, from butterball commercials to the Macy's Parade. Gratitude is the animus of these secular rituals. But the object of the gratitude is unclear. You ever think about that? If you don't believe in God, who are you celebrating on Thanksgiving? 
I mean, you can, there's people you can thank, but ultimately, this article is saying you can thank your grandma for making delicious pie, but who do you thank for the general circumstances of your life? Religions from Christianity to Hinduism to Wicca all emphasize the importance of thankfulness, especially as a form of prayer. That's because they rely on the premise of an other, some sort of non-human being that has some sort of control or influence in the world who you can thank for the world and the good things in it. So remember when uh, I defined gratitude, I talked about responding to uh, a gift that someone had given to you. And that word someone's really important because you need another person to be grateful. Gratitude doesn't make sense if there isn't someone to thank. You can't just say thank you to the random forces of this world because there's no intention there. There's no goodwill. There's no one giving you a gift, no one to thank for it. It's a relational act when we say thank you. It's a response of appreciation to a gift that someone has given to us. And that leads to the second question I want to talk about this morning, which is, why is ingratitude such a problem in our lives? Why is it so hard for us? And that article I mentioned in um, The Atlantic, uh, it actually starts out by summarizing some of the recent, recent social science on gratitude. Uh, it mentions that there's some benefits that science has uncovered. It says the social science on gratitude is uh, pretty resolute. Feeling thankful is good for you. There's something called a grateful personality that some psychologists have studied, said Joanne Sang, a psychologist at Baylor University. They find that if you're greater in the gratitude personality, you tend to have increased life satisfaction, happiness, optimism, hope, positive emotion, and less anxiety and depression. So science confirms that gratitude is just plain good for you. And that being ungrateful can lead to less satisfaction and happiness and less optimism, less hope, and greater anxiety and depression. But we don't need science to tell us this, do we? Uh, the Bible's been saying the same thing for thousands of years. If you remember what I read in Romans 1, we saw there that at the root of our sin, our greatest problem in life is our failure to give thanks to God. So the first step in reversing that is that we have to learn how to give thanks to him. Learn how to be grateful. And I made a claim at the beginning of the message that a lack of ingratitude is at the root of many of the problems in your life, and I want to give you some examples of that. So, one example, maybe you struggle with anxiety. Uh, well, the Bible has an answer for our anxiety, and in Philippians 4, 6, we read, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And when we're anxious because things seem out of control in our lives or we're worried about the future maybe, uh, we're told that we should turn to the one person who can do something about it. We should pray to God. We should ask him for help. But notice that asking isn't all we do. It's, it's asking with something else added. There's a, a key ingredient that flavors our requests, and it's thanksgiving. And have you ever wondered... I think when you read the Bible, it's important we, we pay attention to certain words. And, and when I read this, I think, why does he throw in thanksgiving? He doesn't have to do that. Um, I think because thanksgiving is what makes all the difference here. I want to show you two different ways you can pray. Let's say I'm having some, some relational difficulties with my wife. Now, this isn't true right now. I should say she's sitting right here. But um, uh, let's say we're not getting along, which does happen sometimes, I should admit. Um, I can pray one way. Uh, God, 
help my marriage, help my relationship, help me to be more understanding, help me to listen better, give us both the grace we need to change. Now, there's nothing wrong with that prayer. It's a good prayer. God wants us to ask for help. (laughs) Um, But there's that missing element. And I think it's the one thing that can address my anxiety because without thanksgiving, something is missing. Listen to another way to pray. God, thank you for my wife. Thank you for our 11 years of marriage. It hasn't always been easy, but you've blessed us. I'm so grateful for our children together. I'm thankful that you brought us together. Thank you that she speaks truth. Thank you that she loves you. Thank you that you're working in our marriage today. So we need to ask when we pray, yes. But we also need to give thanks. And when I pray about my needs, it can still end up being all about me. But when I give God thanks, I'm recognizing that it all comes from him. And I show him appreciation for it. There's a subtle but powerful shift there, I think. You see, when we ask, we're, we're primarily focused on the horizontal. What's going on in my life? Where do I need help? How can you make my life better, God? And, and God wants to help there. Don't get me wrong. But when I give thanks, I'm looking up. I'm looking vertically vertically, and I'm saying, I want to honor you, God, with my gratitude for the things you've already given me, the things you've done. And something changes inside of us when we do that. Uh, Gratitude can also help us to fight against our sin and resist temptation. Uh, In his letter to, in the New Testament, uh, James, I I saw your next series was actually going to be on, James, so I'm maybe stealing a little thunder there, but not too much. Uh, James is the brother of Jesus, and, and he talks about our struggle with temptation and sin And he writes in in chapter 1, verse 14, he says, uh, and again, I'm reading from the ESV this time, he says, but each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. And then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So we all struggle with sin. I mean, we can't deny that. And, um, my word, what is this? A little bag of Doritos down here. Um, you know, I, I brought one of my personal struggles this morning. Uh, just happened to be down here. Miracle. Um, you know, uh, when we, we struggle, I know, I know for some of you this is not a big deal. You're probably thinking, this is gross. <laughs> I don't want to eat that. But for me, if there's a bag of Doritos in our house and it's after 10 p.m. at night, uh, I'm in for a battle. <laughs> um, James says that the battle for sin starts when we're tempted and and something attracts us. He says it's like a lure attracting a fish or like a a nacho-flavored chip to a hungry man. Um, We we look at it. We're we're interested. It looks appealing to us. We think, hmm, there's nachos in the house. There's there's Doritos around. And then the desire kicks in and and we want it now and, and we think we deserve it. I say, you know, I've worked pretty hard. It's 10 o'clock at night. I want to chill in front of the TV. I'm a little hungry. I deserve this. And then desire gives birth to a choice to do something, and, and I think I have to eat it, and I eat it, and the desire gets a full control of my heart and my thoughts, and pretty soon the bag is empty. And it really is empty at times, which is why it's a problem. So um, how do we resist temptation? Now, now, the Doritos are, you know, are just my little thing, but we all struggle with far worse struggles, I know that, and, and as well as I do. 
So how do we resist those temptations? In the next verse, James says, first of all, first thing, don't be deceived. In other words, don't believe the lie that Satan has spread to the world, the lie that it's leading you to sin. But what is that lie? Well, James tells us in the next verse, but he doesn't tell us what the lie is. He tells us what the truth is, and so we have to infer the lie from it. He says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And he says this because the big lie, if we read backwards, is uh, that's deceived the whole human race, is that we can find these good and perfect gifts he's talking about apart from God. That our sinful desire is born in the belief that there's good things out there, there's things that God doesn't give us that are really better for us. And it's a very old lie, too. Because in the very beginning, in the garden, the first man and first woman, they had everything they needed. And God said to them, everything you see, it's for you. I've made it for you. Enjoy it. The fruit, the trees, be together in this beautiful garden I've made. Except one thing, don't eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For if you eat of it, you're going to die. Something bad is going to happen. And, and I, hopefully we know how the story goes. A serpent comes into the garden. The serpent brings the big lie with him. He suggests that maybe God doesn't have the best in mind for them. Maybe God is holding back. Maybe there's good things they could have if they disobey God. And I hope you're starting to see why gratitude lies at the heart of the Christian life because remember, gratitude showing appreciation to God for Every good gift he gives us, he is the giver of every good gift. And there's a problem, remember? We're ingrates. We don't want to acknowledge that he gives us good things, that he's the one, he's the source. And so we trade God. We trade God for the stuff of this world, and we think that's going to bring us happiness, just like Adam and Eve. And that means that our great need in life isn't that better job I'm hoping for or that relationship that I think is going to make everything all better for me, or that new car that's going to make me happy, or fill in the blank, whatever it is for you. Our ultimate need is, is for a grateful heart, one that acknowledges God. A heart whose first and default response to everything in life is thanksgiving. We need a heart that can say with Job, if you know the story of Job, when everything's taken away from him, he says, the Lord is given The Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job doesn't care about the stuff as much as the fact that he he knows God is the one who gives everything and takes it all away. So, how do we get to that place? If we know what gratitude is, it's a response of appreciation to a gift someone's given us, and we know why we're struggling with our ingratitude because we're looking to other stuff other than God in our lives. What can make our ungrateful hearts grateful again? And there's only one solution that can permanently fix our ingratitude, but it's not an easy fix. And there's a process that God has laid out for us, a way that God has established that changes our hearts, that opens our eyes to the truth. And there's three parts to this process. Uh, They actually reflect the storyline of the Bible. So uh, this is a little aside, but If you take these three parts and you think about the Bible and the way it's structured, it will help you to understand and make sense of the story of the Bible. 
But the three parts are also the ways God changes our individual lives. And I remember those three parts with three words. Law, gospel, and spirit. The law is God's first gift to us. It's the Ten Commandments. It's the rules and requirements that outline his expectations for how his people should live before him, how they should live in his presence. And believe it or not, the law is a gift to us. It's not because we can earn favor with God by keeping all his rules. Uh, The Israelites tried that and they failed time and time again. In fact, the opposite's true. In Romans 3.21 tells us that it's actually through the law that comes our knowledge of sin. That we start to really understand what sin is and how deeply we've offended God when we look at the law and we see what God expects of us. God didn't give us the law because he thought we could keep it perfectly. He gave it to us to show us the depth of our problem. And the problem is that we're a bunch of proud, ungrateful, and rebellious people, right? And we think that God owes us something rather than admitting that we're indebted to God. You see, our ingratitude runs so deep and our sense of entitlement is so strong that we need an outside standard. You can't rely on your own judgment because I think I'm doing pretty good, as I'm sure you do. I think I'm living a good life. And then we need this outside standard to come in and reset our entitlement meter. And so the first gift God gives to us to help us have a grateful heart is the law. And it resets that entitlement meter. It reminds us that we deserve nothing good from God because we fail to live as God expects. And we deserve death and punishment for our sin as we saw in Romans. Well, thankfully, the first step in this process is the worst step. It only gets good from here. Because the second part of God's process of replacing our ungrateful heart after we realize how deeply we've offended him and how much we owe him is the gospel. And the gospel is good news. It's that I do not get what I deserve from God, which is death and punishment. Instead, God gives me what I do not deserve, the forgiveness of my sins, and has started a new life with God. And this is only possible if we choose to give up that old life of ingratitude and and we say we're going to receive Jesus. Because when you do that, he becomes your identity. He becomes your life now. I think of it like getting married. Um, I was a a bachelor for uh, all through my 20s and got married early 30s. So I had a lot of habits and not all of them were good. And my wife will tell you my decorating tastes were not the greatest. Uh, So there was a lot of shifts we had to make when we got married. Um, All the sinful baggage I bring to a relationship with Jesus when I accept him, when when I receive his gift of salvation, all of that becomes his now. He pays my debts forever. And, And then all that Jesus brings to the relationship, all that he has, which is amazing, he's the creator, he's God, all that he has becomes mine now. I'm in the family now. I'm a child of God. You see, Jesus reversed the ingratitude of our first parents because he offers us the fruit of another tree. They wanted the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And like Adam and Eve, uh, you and I are still trying to eat from that fruit of the forbidden tree, right? We look for anything but God to find happiness and meaning in life. Uh, So we turn to the stuff of the world. We turn to uh, food or like, like I do, <laughs> we turn to the approval of people, we try to get lots of money, and we think we're going to follow the pattern of our parents in the garden. 
But Jesus offers us something else, doesn't he? He gives us life. He gives us himself. He dies, as we sang earlier, on this cursed, uh, to break a curse, this cursed tree of disobedience, a bloody wooden cross. And he turns that, that tree of disobedience into a tree of life for you and for me. So instead of being condemned for my ingratitude to God, God says this to those who accept Jesus. He says, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, becoming a man to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law, the expectations God has for us that show us we can't keep them, those righteous requirements might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. And that brings us to the final part of this process, which is the Spirit. You see, eating from the tree of life, we receive the gift that Jesus offers us through his death on the cross, and, and that's a gift of grace. And when, I, when I'm eating from the tree of life, when I'm looking to the cross, when I'm believing that Jesus died in my place and that he's offering me a, a new chance at life, God also changes my spiritual taste buds. I love that metaphor. Our taste buds are only for the forbidden fruit until God comes along and a miracle happens and he changes our taste buds. And now the fruit of the tree of life is something I want. And the good news is it's no longer barred. I now have access to it through what Jesus has done. And what feeds me spiritually is God himself. He nourishes us. He keeps us alive. He leads us to become more like Jesus, and he does this through his Holy Spirit. And we welcome the work of God's Spirit as we're reading God's Word, as we're believing God's truth, as we're loving the things God loves, as we do the work that God does in this world. The Spirit is alive inside of us. So three words to remember, law, gospel, spirit. This is the process that God uses to change our, un, our, our ungrateful hearts into grateful hearts. And in the time that remains this morning, uh, I want to close uh, by, by giving you something practical here. Uh, I think I've given you a lot of ideas, but hopefully uh, I can give you two things you can think about doing. Uh, two ways to cultivate a grateful heart. And for each of these, I want to suggest, too, a resource. I normally, I know I'm an editor, I work for a publisher, but I don't normally tell you to read books. But there's two books I just want to recommend, take them or leave them. Um, and these are proven helpful for me and my family. The first practical way to cultivate a heart of gratitude is a very simple way, but it's very powerful. It's been very powerful for me, and I think for Travis as well. Uh, take, take time each day to remember what we just talked about, this three-part process that God uses to change us. Now, it doesn't have to be the same three words that I use, um, but I say this because it's amazing how quickly we forget things, and I've learned that I need to keep the main things in my head and to remember them in an easy and memorable way. And some people have called this rehearsing the gospel, or uh, I was first introduced to it by the author, um, late author now, Jerry Bridges, in one of his classic books, a book called The Gospel for Everyday Life. I recommend it. Uh, he calls it preaching the gospel to yourself. And uh, there's many ways you can do this. Um, I use those three words I just shared, law, uh, gospel, and spirit. 
Law, I'm in debt to God and deserve nothing good from him. Gospel, God gives me what I do not deserve. And all that Jesus has is now mine and spirit. God himself is alive in me now, leading me to become more like Jesus. When I say these words to myself, whether it's the morning or middle of the day or I'm having a tough time, I'm reminding myself of these important truths. When I think this way, I can't help but be grateful that an undeserving sinner was given everything and now has God alive inside of him. We need to remember that. Now, historically, others have done another version. There's another three-part pattern. Uh, One of the best known is the Heidelberg Catechism, if you've heard of that. Uh, It's a, a catechism in the uh, kind of reformed church, uh, but it's, it's broken down into three parts, and part one covers the law, part two is the gospel, part three is the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, there's a simple way of remembering it, and this is why I mention it, because it does time with what we're talking about, um, and maybe you like this way better. Uh, three words that all start with the letter G, guilt, grace, and gratitude. And it's the very same thing I just talked about. Guilt is that we're condemned by the law. Grace is the gospel, that we're forgiven by the work of Christ. And gratitude is the response of our lives to the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. So the first way that you can cultivate gratitude in your heart is by preaching the gospel to yourself every day. And when I say gospel, I mean all this I'm talking about. Learn the the three-part pattern. Memorize it. Make it something you rehearse again and again. Law, gospel, spirit, guilt, grace, gratitude, so that I understand where I've come from, where I am, and where I'm going, and how God's working in my life today. It's not hard, but I think every Christian should know this process that God uses to grow and change us. Well, another practical way, and the last one I want to mention, to cultivate gratitude is to meditate on the many ways that God has blessed your life. One of the most uh, well-known examples of this, uh, in recent years at least, has been an author um, named Anne Voskamp. Maybe you've heard of her. She wrote a best-selling book several years ago called A Thousand Gifts. And in that book, she talks about the problem that we've been looking at this morning, this problem of our ingratitude. And I, I like what she writes here. She says, We keep reliving the garden story. In his essence, Satan is an ingrate, and he sinks his venom into the heart of Eden. Satan's sin becomes the first sin of all humanity, the sin of ingratitude. Adam and Eve are simply and painfully ungrateful for what God gave. Isn't that the catalyst for all my sins too? Our fall was, has always been, and always will be that we aren't satisfied in God and what he gives. We hunger for something more, something other. And I love how Anne chooses to fight her own ingratitude. She reads a bunch of books about it to start out, but then she realizes it's not going to help me. I need to do something. So she puts the books down and she picks up a pen and she starts a list, a list of 1,000 blessings, 1,000 gifts she's received in her life. And these are not gifts that she wants. These are gifts she already has. And she writes, number one, morning shadows across the old floors. Number two, Jam piled high on the toast. I like that one. Number three, cry of a blue jay from high in a spruce tree. And she says, that's the beginning and I smile. These are just common things. Maybe I don't even know they're gifts until I write them down and that's really what they look like. Gifts he bestows. And this writing it down is sort of like unwrapping love, she says. She goes on, she says, writing the list makes me feel happy. All day I can hardly believe how it does this. 
a river I drink from and I'm quenched in, a surging stream of grace and it's wild how it sweeps me away. I know that this discipline in particular has been very helpful for my wife. Uh, She's done this. She's tried to keep a list of the blessings that God has given her. And I want to give you a suggestion here because when I first started doing this, and I don't do it very often, but I, I, I was trying again yesterday and um, first comes to mind are a bunch of uncreative things like my family and my house and my friends. And those are great, but that's a little generic, I think. Um, so here's my suggestion. Um, this, is, this is an opportunity to open your eyes, to really look at your life, to stop for a moment, to be mindful, to notice the little things you often overlook in your busy life and our noisy lives. I, I did this yesterday and I was sitting in our house and I was thinking of the way the, the leaves on the tree in our front yard uh, look like hands clapping as the wind goes through them. They really do. Um, and I, was, I was grateful for that. Or uh, before I leave for work in the morning, um, the hugs that my kids give me uh, before I leave. Um, or this time of year, a summer day, uh, right around sunset, maybe you know what I'm talking about. Uh, there's like an orange cast to the light and it just feels like one of those timeless moments where time just stands still and I just love love those moments it's like a taste of heaven so my challenge to you is do you stop and notice and then when you notice do you say thank you I began this morning by telling you that a lack of gratitude is at the root of most of the problems in your life many of them at least and I want to stand by that claim I think the Bible teaches that. Because ingratitude lies at the heart of all our sin. It's what led Adam and Eve to believe Satan's lie. They weren't grateful and they thought they could do better. They thought there was good to be had outside of what God had given. And every sin we commit begins right there. And we resist temptation when we remember where all the good things come from, that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. So are you a grateful person? Uh, Do you live each day amazed that you're alive? That you can live a life that has meaning for all of eternity? That you belong to a father who loves you? That you're blessed beyond the curse of Adam? Uh, We have a new heart, a grateful heart that Jesus gives to us. And now we can give to God what he's always deserved from us, our thanks. So why not get started today? What are you grateful for? Let's pray. Father, we are grateful. Uh, We thank you most of all for the gift of Jesus, for sending your son to take our place and to pay the price for our ingratitude. And Father, my prayer for everyone here is is that you would use the law, that you would use the good news of the gospel, that you would use the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our minds to transform us, to open our eyes, to not just go through the day, but to see, to see with eyes of faith, to see with eyes attuned to the millions of blessings all around us every single day. Even if our life is difficult and hard right now, Lord, there are blessings that you have given Help us to see them and be grateful. For Jesus' sake, amen.